So Money episode 1512, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. It is Friday, May 12th, 2023, just a couple of days before Mother's Day, which I had totally forgotten about. And my husband was gone this week on a business trip. So curious to see what the family has in store for me this Sunday. If nothing, I'm okay with that. I know what I'll do. I will just disappear. Uh, it used to be that, you know, your first Mother's Day, you had all these like hopes and expectations, flowers, brunch, gifts. Now as a mother for many years with two kids, I just want to be gone. I don't want to have brunch with my family. Not right now. I did it last year and it was a disaster. Not so much because my kids couldn't stay in their seats. That did happen. But because they seated us next to the accordion player at a table that was really designed for two people, not four. I asked the waiter for a Bloody Mary, never got it. And they seated us an hour and a half late despite having reservations. So I just just find that the Mother's Day industrial complex does not show up for mothers on Mother's Day. Try to get flowers sent on Mother's Day. I've tried to my mother and my mother-in-law never ever works. Usually you have to do it in advance or do a makeup flower situation because FTD or 1-800-Flowers, the local florist just couldn't keep up. So I'm just going to disappear. I'm, I can, I'm fine just like sitting in my car outside of a Starbucks looking at the Instagram. You know, I'm, I don't need much. I just need me time. And so wishing that for all mothers out there this weekend, just get your me time because it's really important. And if we learned anything from the podcast this week, it's that women, we have been conditioned for centuries since biblical times to deny ourselves, that denying ourselves equals being good. If you didn't catch my conversation with Elise Lonen on Monday, please run, please listen. You have permission to stop listening to this episode and go and listen to Monday's show with Elise. She is the author of the new forthcoming book, On Our Best Behavior, The Price Women Pay to Be Good. She used to be the chief content officer at Goop. Uh, for a while there in her career, she was not only at the helm of uh, running the editorial direction of Goop, but also its Netflix show. She was ghostwriting books. She's a mom, a wife, and it all came to a head where she started hyperventilating for an entire month. You have to listen to this episode because hyperventilation may not be what you think it is. It's not like breathing into a bag. It's essentially like being unable to catch your breath, uh, trying to yawn, and you can't really close on the yawn. I've had that happen to me and I just thought it was, you know, I was tired or whatever, stressed, but it's it's a serious thing. And it started her research and exploration into why she had arrived in her life feeling so much stress despite having accomplished so much. And it led her to discovering the seven deadly sins or rediscovering the seven deadly sins and how ancient ideas of morality have endured into our 21st century lives, encouraging women to self-deny, self-deny money 
and food, sleep, all because we're trying to quote unquote, be good. It was a fascinating conversation. Her book, I have bookmarked it up the wazoo. It is one of my favorite books on women and why we are the way we are. So check out that episode. Also get her book. It comes out later this month. You can pre-order it now on Our Best Behavior. Our other interview episode this week was with Dr. Risa Riger. On Wednesday, we talked about limiting financial beliefs, really dovetailed Elise's episode where she talked about the roots and the origins of why we have limiting beliefs around money and wealth. And Dr. Risa, a clinical psychologist, talked about how she helps her clients, a lot of them, these high-strung New Yorkers, reconcile with their own limiting money beliefs. So we walk through her four steps of identifying, processing, reversing, and committing to a new belief around money that can actually help you achieve financial independence. As I mentioned, my husband was gone this week on a business trip. And so I was with the kids, uh, not single parenting. We don't call that single parenting. We call that maybe solo parenting. And my my daughter on Thursday morning, she uh, was watching me in the kitchen, like, you know, I'm getting the breakfast, filling the water bottles, wiping down the surface. And she's like, mom, is it hard to parent just by yourself? And I didn't know how honest to be with her. Because on the one hand, I don't want her to think that it's impossible to be a single parent or a solo parent. But so, but I said, you know, it is challenging, as you can see, when there's two people, it's sometimes easier to get all of the things done. But, you know, every day this week, we have still made the bus on time. You have still left the house fully clothed, breakfast eaten, teeth brushed. So it's possible. Is it easier? Um, you know, honestly, I've been talking to my other friends about this when their spouses go away for a week or a couple of days, like it has pros and cons. I'm going to be completely honest. The con is that of course you're down to one person. If you have more than one kid, you are outnumbered in the house, but there are some weird benefits in that I feel like there's not someone to need to constantly be negotiating with or checking in with or waiting for to get their task done so that you can start your task. And honestly, like just my standards drop when I'm home with the kids by myself. I am not insistent on needing for them to be only on their screens for a certain amount of time, or you know, they have to go to bed by a certain amount of time. They sleep in my bed. I don't care. I'm a lot less strict when it's just me because I, I can't. I got to do work and I'm running a lot. The show has to go on this show and other shows in my life and their lives. And some things you just got to chill about when it's just you. You got to be good to yourself and take it easy. So that's my parenting 101 advice on this episode. Let's head over to the Apple Podcast reviews section and pick our reviewer of the week. I already know who I'm going to pick. I shared it on social media as well this week because it just made me smile so much. This person knows me so well. A big pen, a big pen on May 2nd left this review saying, can't get enough. I found Farnoosh on Instagram. I don't even remember how, but I hadn't heard of her podcast before finding her. I became super interested in learning about managing my finances about three years ago. And this podcast has provided such a variety of guests who have so many different kinds of successes that just make you think about building wealth and entrepreneurship and investing in real estate and education. Farnoosh also recommends some pretty cool books. I love that she's giving exposure to people who perhaps don't have 50,000 followers online. They're just knowledgeable people with relatable stories who have a message that they want to deliver. And here's the kicker, everybody. She said, I'm also guilty of being a huge fan of her eyebrows. 
I mean, you should have led with that. That that all that's the whole review. I mean, that's all I need. Like uh, as the girl who grew up terrified of being ridiculed for her unibrow, who did take a big razor to that unibrow when she was in the seventh grade, and you can read how that turned out in my forthcoming book, A Healthy State of Panic. October 3rd. This just was a very full circle moment for me. Thank you, a big pen. Let's get in touch and have ourselves a free call. You can email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com, or you can DM me right on that Instagram where you found me first and let me know that you left this review. I'll send you a link where you can pick a time for us to chat about whatever you want. All right, the layoffs are heating up. And I know this because a number of you have reached out to me in the past couple of weeks with news of your layoffs. And so today we're going to dedicate a couple of questions, at least to folks who have been recently laid off and they have some questions about how to make the most of you know, whatever's next for them. Also a question in our mailbag this week about money market accounts versus money market funds. And this is all in the context of a lot of fear out there about banks failing. And this person wants to know what are the risks when you are investing in, let's say a money market fund, which we'll talk about as being different, of course, than a money market account. There is no FDIC insurance with money market funds. So your intentions, your goals with using one of these sorts of vehicles, savings vehicles, ought to be different than why you would want to put then a money market account. We're going to get into the details momentarily, but first let's help out our friends who've recently lost their jobs. First, condolences. Uh, it's never great. I mean, I think there's always a part of you that might be slightly relieved because you maybe didn't like the job. I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, that's always been the case when they've let me go. I'm like, okay. I always feel like a little happy, but also mostly upset in the beginning, at least. Nobody wants to be told you can't work here anymore. We want to leave on our own terms. And even though some companies, especially the full-time employers with the benefits, are giving severance packages, there's a healthy amount of fear that comes with losing your job. And then what happens the days, the weeks, the months that follow, there is that inevitable concern of I'm never going to find another job or will I make enough money again? I'm going to help us out. Laura is our first listener with news of a layoff. She recently got laid off after being at this job for three years. She did get a great severance package. She does have emergency savings. She has a lot of prospective opportunities thanks to her network. She's asking us, me, what actions do you recommend taking as I navigate this transition period? Should I drop my 401k contributions? Thanks in advance. All right. Well, so Laura, last week when we had on Nicole Stanley, who is a money coach and her superpower is helping people with money and mental well-being, we talked about the aftermath of a layoff and how to balance your time, how to feel like you're being productive in the career arena, but also productive in the personal arena where you're taking advantage of maybe this time off and the good work of having this emergency savings, taking advantage of that several package and making the most essentially of this time off. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode for more of that kind of advice. In terms of technically what you should be doing right now or what I, th- or what I would recommend, I have written about this and, and a lot of this stems from my own experience, but also talking to others who have been there, done that, and the things that maybe they wish they had done more immediately sooner than later post layoff. So the first thing is you mentioned you have gotten a severance package, which is great, but have you read the fine print? For full-time employees who get laid off, often there is some sort of severance that includes a continuation of pay 
for a period of time. Employers are not legally required to offer ongoing compensation, but severance tends to be a common practice. It helps to avoid hard feelings and lawsuits down the road because when you sign this severance, it's an agreement that you're not going to come back and maybe ask for more money or sue your employer. Average severance is anywhere from one to two weeks of your salary for every year of service. Unless, of course, you worked at Google. And I think the minimum severance, regardless of how long you worked there, was like four months. And then you got more on top of that. So my Google friends out there, I hope you're enjoying this time off. I don't know if you've signed the severance yet, Laura. You said you just got laid off, but I would really look at the fine print and know that it is a contract and there is room for negotiation. Be sure that if you have any questions that you have talked to HR, you could consult with an attorney and maybe there is room for some changes. Um, If you're not happy with some of the terms, things could be negotiated, like extending your health care, giving you access to job placement services. But you have to act relatively quickly because severance agreements have to be signed within 21 to 45 days, depending on your age and whether your position was terminated in a group layoff or not. So don't sign anything without really understanding the terms, without going back and forth a little bit with HR to ask your questions, maybe get a little bit more out of the severance. And of course, and of course, if you experienced any workplace discrimination, you want to talk to an attorney about what may be the best next move. Just want to put that out there for anybody else who's going through this too, concerned about their severance fine print. Secondly, you mentioned you have emergency savings, you got the severance, but you can also apply for unemployment. You know, you've been paying for this through your paycheck and this can help to supplement whatever gaps you may have. You could use your unemployment and your severance before you have to tap your savings. And maybe by then you've already gotten another job. And so you never even have to use your savings. So I encourage everybody who gets laid off, apply for unemployment. You do this in the state where you worked. The sooner you apply, the better. Each state has its own eligibility requirements. You can usually apply if your job was terminated at no fault of your own. And just go to the Department of Labor website where they have all of the applications for all of the states. It usually takes two to three weeks after submitting a claim to start getting those benefits. But why not? Start that right away. Third, secure health insurance. You know, you can get COBRA, which is a federal program that allows you to extend whatever healthcare coverage you are getting at your job for up to 18 months. It's more expensive than what you were used to paying because you're going to be paying your coverage as well as what your employer's contribution was. And then there is an administrative fee tacked on top of that. So COBRA is an option, but preferably maybe you're getting some sort of extended benefits through your employer. And that could be something that you could, again, negotiate with your severance if you haven't signed that yet. The alternative to COBRA is looking for insurance plans on the health insurance marketplace. Really important to secure health insurance. ASAP if you are not getting it through your employer, because this is one of the big unknowns when you're temporarily out of work. Unfortunately, in this country, we are still in a place where health benefits are largely tied to employment. Yes, we can go on the marketplace, but it's so much more money than getting it subsidized through your employer, right? It's kind of unfair. It is unfair, I think, but it's where we're at. If you're a part of a labor union or a professional organization, Laura, even if you're taking courses part-time at a local college, you may be able to get access to health insurance at a more affordable rate than through the marketplace, definitely cheaper than through COBRA. So explore your healthcare options. Really important to kind of secure this sooner than later. I'm going to get to your 401k question in a minute, but 
Next step, I think it's important to scrutinize your non-fixed expenses. Listen, if you feel comfortable with what you have in emergency savings, plus severance, plus whatever unemployment insurance you're going to get, maybe you can just keep status quo. You don't have to worry about your expenses. But part of me always feels like there's something I could be doing better in the budget. And that may mean looking at some of the subscription services that you have assigned yourself that you've been paying every month and sometimes you don't even care or use it and you could cut those off and it could save you 15 20 50 dollars a month without any change to your lifestyle and that's extra money that could really come in handy and can just if at the very least give you more peace of mind as you're navigating this unemployment period all right now your 401k definitely important to Examine your 401k options. If you have been let go, know that your 401k doesn't disappear. Your contributions definitely stop though. Like you can't pay from your paycheck anymore because you're not getting a paycheck. So what your options are with your 401k or your 403b is can either cash out the account which I don't like to do as a first choice because uh, while for those of us who may need to, I get that because maybe you don't have a security blanket, you didn't get severance, but it comes at a price, right? Withdrawing your savings from your 401k before your eligible age of 59 and a half, it's gonna trigger a 10% penalty most likely. You'll also need to pay taxes on the earnings. So by the end of it, you're you're really getting like maybe 40 or just 50% of what is sitting in that account. The second option is to keep your retirement savings, your 401k intact until you decide to move them somewhere else. So with those job prospects that you have, if you do land a job in the next three to six months, and you are confident you will, and that's what you want to do, then what you may want is to just let that 401k sit idle and then transfer it over to your new employer's 401k once you become eligible to contribute there. There's no penalty for that. There's no taxes for that. It's a direct rollover. The third option, let it sit there for a little bit until you just figure out what you want to do. You don't have to do anything right away, but keep in mind that if it's less than $5,000, you do run the risk of maybe getting it cashed out after a period of time. Again, This is where you really need to read the fine print. Different 401k providers have different rules around when they would write you a check and cash out your retirement account and send you a check at home, which would trigger an early withdrawal penalty of 10% and those taxes. So if you don't want that to happen, just review what the rules are at your 401k provider, whether it was Fidelity or Vanguard or one of those companies. And then um, I forgot to mention this, but you could also do a direct rollover to an individual retirement account as soon as you want. You don't have to wait for a job to show up to transfer that money out into to roll over that money out directly into another like retirement account. You can do that now into an IRA, a traditional IRA that you can open up either at the existing investment company where your 401k is at, if you like them, or to any place else. The paperwork is really simple. You can do it in a lunch hour, but do something. I would recommend doing something within the next one to three months because you don't want to risk that 401k getting cashed out. And by the way, if you want to continue contributing to it, um, you need to put it into an IRA or you wait until you have a job with 401k and you roll it over there and you start contributing to that out of your paycheck. It's going to otherwise sit there collecting a little bit of dust and possibly getting eaten away by fees. 
I had a person write in recently talking about that and how her 401k, she hadn't done anything with it for a while and then noticed that the balance was dropping, not just because the market was being volatile, but because there were maintenance fees to keep the lights on basically. And that's kind of annoying. So maybe you can move it over somewhere where there are fewer fees. Lastly, I would just say, keep the door open with your employer, your previous employer. This is a little hard to do because I mean, I'll be honest, there is some resentment bad feelings towards your previous employer. How could they have let me go? I was a star employee. But this moment in our economy, I find that especially folks who work in tech and certain sectors that have been more disproportionately impacted by layoffs in recent months and the last year are finding that it's quite hard to get another full-time benefits paying job. That what is more abundant are gigs, contract work, freelance opportunities, even at your old employer. Your old employer may not be able to replace you or replace that job in the next year, but they need support. They need staffing to address certain projects or quarterly things. So keeping that line of communication open, if you're interested in that kind of work, then you should definitely let your employer know that you're on hand and available for hourly pay, part-time work, contract work. Okay, another question about layoff from Vanessa where she was recently laid off after coming back from maternity leave. She has saved most of her severance and also has saved some of her last few paychecks. She's also getting unemployment. Her health coverage for her kids and herself will be be covered through California. Her husband is still working. So she says, this is not the worst, right? I get to have time with my six-month-old, be around for the summer. We're We're not financially strapped. She says, I'm interviewing and talking with recruiters but nothing feels like the right fit for me or my family. I'm thankful for unemployment and the savings we amassed before this happened to me, but how should I think about my next act and using this time to seek jobs? Well, Vanessa, you know, one of the things that I didn't talk about with Laura, but was part of the article that I'd written for um, about layoffs in the past, one of the final steps for those of us who have done all the things, you know, we've squared away our finances, we've secured health insurance, we've decided what we're going to do with our 401k, and now we're ready to look for jobs again, is that you may not want to continue working in the sector that you were. That's what I'm sensing from you is that you're just not, you're not inspired by the openings uh, that you're seeing. And so maybe part of what you want to do is go back to the drawing board and think about, well, what do I want to do? What is the impact that I want to make? What are the hours that I want to work? What is the money that I want to make? You know, kind of figuring out that Venn diagram where all those things intersect is where maybe you look for jobs and maybe you realize I have a skills gap or I have an experience gap. So can you get some of that online virtually until you're ready to go full force back into the job hunt? I feel like when you become a parent, there is this new way of thinking that we inherit that I think is ultimately healthy. You want to find a new line of work and you want to pursue your career, even if it was the career that you had before having kids, in a new way that recognizes that your responsibilities, your priorities have shifted and that there are certain things now that are non-negotiable. When I had my first kid, I, I decided I don't want to travel as much. I don't want to be out of the home as much, frankly. I don't want to be going and commuting all the time every day. And so I thought about what kind of projects, what kind of pursuits would A, make me money, B, continue to allow me to make an impact on my audience with my community as a financial advice giver, but and C, 
that was low maintenance for me that I wouldn't have to put on a suit or go out of the house every day, even just like, or have to put on makeup and show up right in front of an audience. And up until that point, a lot of my career was television focused, travel intense. And I do some of that still, but not as much. Instead, I got the podcast going. I started writing more. I raised my fees too, so I wouldn't have to do as much of the travel of the speaking. I could do less speaking, but make as much as a speaker as I was in years past. Give yourself the permission to be more discriminating when it comes to what you will and won't do in your next career. I've heard from employers, we love mothers. Remember this, employers do love mothers because when mothers show up, and dads too, when you become a parent, you become laser focused on efficiency, productivity, and optimizing your time at work and at home. And that is a good employee to have. I think the employers that want to compete well in our economy, they have to recognize the benefits that come with hiring parents and to support them. So again, with that, look for employers that are going to provide those benefits for you. They are out there. They may be a little bit harder to find, but they are out there. I'm going to give you a resource and anyone else who's interested in pivoting their career or going back into the workforce after having a child. It's called Apres, which is French for after. Jennifer Gefsky and Stacey Delo have both been on this podcast. They're the founders of Apres. They've written a book as well called Your Turn, Careers, Kids, and Comebacks. Apres is a community that provides coaching and job boards for parents and particularly moms who are looking to get back into the workforce with more terms with more personal terms and wanting to connect with employers that recognize the talents that moms can bring to the workplace and are willing to nurture and support them with the right kind of benefits that can support all families. I'm looking at their website right now. Um, They have resources, they have events, they've been featured everywhere. So check out APRES, A-P-R-E-S group.com. I'll put that link in our show notes. And last but not least, a question about money market funds versus money market accounts. Melissa writes in and says that she and her husband are trying to consolidate their bank accounts and get into a high interest savings account. Her husband is proposing that rather than a regular high interest savings account, that they put their emergency funds into a money market fund. She says, I'm doing some research on pros and cons. And while they aren't insured by the FDIC, They appear pretty low risk and they're heavily regulated. Would that be a good option for investing our extra cash? It would be cash that we don't need on a daily basis, though we may be withdrawing it within the next year or so to buy a house. Any thoughts on how to figure this out? And also let me know if I'm overthinking it. No, Melissa, you're not overthinking it. Money market funds are investment accounts. Money market accounts are savings accounts. Savings accounts are typically FDIC insured. You you can put up to 250 grand in it. And if the bank collapses, the FDIC comes in, gives you your money back up to $250,000. A money market fund is not insured by FDIC. It's essentially a mutual fund. And so there is some regulation, of course, with all kinds of investments. Uh, There is the SIPC, Securities Investor Protection Corporation. This is the equivalent of FDIC insurance for investments. That said, it doesn't protect your money if, let's say, the stock market has a bad day and you lose value in your portfolio. This is if your brokerage, like your Fidelity, your Schwab, goes under, SIPC sweeps in, 
and provides up to half a million dollars in coverage for your investments. That includes $250,000 for cash. It is rare that a money market fund would lose the money, but it did happen. I just want to mention it did happen as recently as the 2008 financial crisis. At that time, investors could only get 97 cents for every dollar that they had invested in a money market fund. That was an extremely rare time, but it is important to pointed out that that it is possible for you to lose at least some of the value of your of your cash in a money market fund in a crisis like the financial crisis that we had in 2008. As an alternative, high yield savings accounts, CDs too, if you don't need this money for the next year, you could opt into a certificate of deposit, which does have a term and you can start with as little as three months or six months. You can roll that into a longer term CD later if you decide you don't need it as early as six months or a year. But those also offer pretty competitive yields and they are FDIC insured. So my feeling is that if you have cash that you need in the next year to two years, go with an FDIC insured account. It offers more protection. And in an environment like now where we are seeing high yields, the rates are very competitive with the funds. You're not really missing out financially by going with an account over a fund. And if anything, you're just getting more security. I think that if you are invested in a portfolio for retirement and there is an aspect of that portfolio that is a money market fund, fine, because you're not going to be touching that money for decades. It's not something that you're going to need immediately. But to hear what you're saying is like, you want to have this money for a down payment on a home in the next year, you want to take zero risk. FDIC insurance all the way. Thanks everybody, Melissa, Vanessa, and Laura. I appreciate all of your questions. I'm sorry to hear that layoffs are heating up, but I'm here for you. I've been laid off at least once in my career. Well, so I have personal experience, but also I've interviewed so many people about this by now. Kind of a layoff expert. Happy Mother's Day to all our moms out there. I hope you do take that me time and I'll see you back here on Monday. I hope your weekend is so money. Money. 